Well, we come to Luke chapter 6 this morning, as was just read for you, where our Lord Jesus claims to be Lord of the Sabbath, the giver of both rest and restoration. As we prepare to do that, let's ask the Lord for guidance. Almighty God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Lighten our darkness this morning, that we may prepare the way of the King and follow him on that way as he brings us rest and restoration. Amen. In the beginning of Luke's gospel, we see the birth of John the Baptist and the birth of Jesus foretold. We see the nativity of these two boys, and we see Joseph and Mary being faithful Israelites, having Jesus circumcised, presenting him at the temple for redemption by sacrifice, and at the age of 12, taking Jesus to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Then in chapter 3, we see John, the promised prophet, the true priest, cleansing Israel through baptism and preaching repentance. He is preparing the way for Jesus. We then see Jesus baptized by John, and he is cast into the wilderness where he resists the temptation of the accuser, Satan. Having succeeded, he goes out and he begins his public ministry with mighty deeds, casting out demons, healing a paralytic, cleansing a leper, and calling disciples to himself to help him carry out the ministry he has been given. But Jesus' messianic work is met with opposition from the get-go. Two weeks ago, we saw him rejected by the people of his own hometown. And early in Luke's gospel, we meet the Pharisees and scribes. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day, very strict in their observance of God's law and other traditions that had been passed down to them over the years. The scribes were men trained to read and write and schooled in the scriptures. In a world where few were literate, the scribes had great authority with regard to biblical teaching. And from the beginning, these Pharisees and scribes, they don't like Jesus of Nazareth. He's not part of their good old boys club. He doesn't treat their traditions with the same reverence they do. In Luke's gospel, we see John the Baptist calling the people of Israel to prepare the way of the Lord, to make his paths straight. But as we see here and in the next passage and throughout Luke's gospel, the Pharisees are constantly doing the opposite. They are always trying to trip Jesus up, trying to put stumbling stones in his way. They want to see him fall so that they can reveal him to the world as the fraud and usurper that they believe him to be. And so this is where we join Jesus today in Luke chapter 6. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Now, the Hebrew word Sabbath means rest, and the Pharisees are referring specifically to the fourth commandment, where God said to Israel, Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. So the Pharisees say, look, Jesus, your disciples are breaking the Sabbath law. They're harvesting grain. They're doing work. Now, first of all, nowhere in Scripture are we told that this activity was a violation of the law. In fact, 
God specifically allowed his people to do this sort of thing. Deuteronomy 23.25 says, If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. You see, they didn't have convenience stores in ancient Israel, no 7-Elevens, right? And especially when you're walking from place to place, as they did, you get hungry and you need a bite to eat. So God provides for his people. He says, you can't steal a whole harvest from your neighbor, but it's okay to take a handful of grain, enough to satisfy your hunger. And that's what the disciples were doing. But the Pharisees say, no, no, the problem is you're doing it on the Sabbath. You're doing work. You can't do work on the Sabbath. You're violating God's law. Now, as I said, the Pharisees were known for their very strict observance of the law. In fact, they went overboard in their law-keeping. And you can see that here. They think taking a handful of grain counts as harvest labor. Now, if all this was truly a good-intentioned love for the law of God, that would be one thing. But the truth is, the Pharisees are not really concerned with God's law here, are they? They are concerned with catching Jesus in the act, catching him breaking some law so that they can condemn him and prevent people from following him. We also see that in this legalistic obsession with the law that they have, they've totally missed the spirit of the law. They're obsessed with the letter of the law. They've missed the spirit of the law. You see, the Sabbath commandment is not just a prohibition of work. It has a positive aspect to it as well. The Sabbath is actually about giving rest. The Sabbath is about giving rest. Consider the rest of the commandment, pun intended. Deuteronomy 5.14, On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You see that? Not only are you required to rest, the fourth commandment requires you to give rest to give rest to everyone who is under your care or under your authority. Why did God require the Israelites not only to rest, but to give rest? He makes that clear in the rest of the commandment. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. You see, the Sabbath command is all about imitating God, isn't it? And you imitate God by giving rest to those under your authority. God rested himself on the seventh day. You imitate him in that way by resting yourself. But God also gave you rest when he freed you from the hard labor of Egyptian slavery. And so the Sabbath is about giving rest. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here in this story by allowing his disciples to be fed and sustained according to the provisions of the law. The Pharisees are doing the exact opposite, aren't they? They are causing unrest. They are placing extra burdens on Jesus and his disciples. Now what's interesting in our passage is that Jesus doesn't even point this out. Oh, he does it other times. 
He doesn't actually say, look, you guys are wrong about the Sabbath. You need to get rid of these man-made traditions because they are leading you astray. He doesn't say that, does he? He could bicker with them about specific applications of the law, about what you can and can't do on the Sabbath. But instead, here, he just kind of concedes that point. I don't think he actually agrees with them, but he plays along because Jesus plans to make a larger point. He has something more important to do than bickering about what one can or can't do on the Sabbath. And Jesus responds to the Pharisees in verse 3. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. Now, Jesus is referring to an event from Israel's history, and you can read about it in 1 Samuel 21. But the point is this, on the Pharisees' interpretation, they would have to say that King David was violating the law in that story. The bread of the presence was holy. It was dedicated to God. It was only supposed to be eaten by priests. David and his men were not priests. So to be consistent, the Pharisees and scribes would have to say that their greatest king, King David, the man after God's own heart, had violated the law of God. And the priests who were there let him do it. Yet nowhere in 1 Samuel does anyone suggest that David was wrong in doing this. David doesn't think he's breaking the law. The priest doesn't say he's breaking the law. So how can this be? Well, it appears that David and his men have special status. They have been consecrated for war. They have a temporary holiness that allows them to partake of the showbread without violating God's law. So Jesus seems to be saying that on the surface, it looks like David was breaking the law. He wasn't a priest. He's eating the bread for the priests. But in actuality, because David was God's anointed one and he was doing the Lord's work, he was not violating the law. This explanation might become a little bit more clear if we look at the parallel account of this story in Matthew 12, the priestly gospel. There, Jesus not only points to this story about David, but he also asks the Pharisees, Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? He's pointing out that Israel's priests are always doing work on the Sabbath. They're working in the temple the whole day, preparing sacrifices and offering them, carrying out the various cleansing rituals and all the other tasks of their priestly vocation. The priests are working on the Sabbath. They're profaning the Sabbath, and yet no one accuses them of sin. To which the Pharisees would have to say, well, that's absurd, Jesus. The priests have to work on the Sabbath. That's what God ordained them to do according to the law. Exactly. You see Jesus' point. Not all work is prohibited on the Sabbath, there is priestly work that must be done on the Sabbath. There is kingly work that must be done on the Sabbath. And we don't hinder the priests and kings from doing what God has called them to do. We don't accuse them of violating God's law. In fact, we bless them for their faithfulness to the law. 
Now, what is Jesus implying with these illustrations? Isn't he comparing himself to David? Isn't he comparing his disciples to David's men? You see, like David and his men, Jesus and his disciples are on a sacred mission. They are consecrated. They are set apart for a holy task to do God's will. They're not violating the Sabbath. They are fulfilling it. Because they come to deliver. They come to give rest to God's people. Jesus has come to do the true priestly work of cleansing God's people and helping them draw near to God. That's what priests do. Jesus has come to do the true kingly work of defeating Israel's enemies and bringing peace to his people. That's what kings do. Jesus and his apostles are doing true Sabbath work. They are embodying the Sabbath principle of giving rest. Verse 5, And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Mark gives us a fuller quotation. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath was not designed to add burdens to men. The law was not supposed to be yet another slave master which men had to serve. And that's what the Pharisees had made it into with all their extra rules and regulations and bickering. But that's the exact opposite of what God intended. The last thing he wanted was for the law to become a new Pharaoh, laying heavy burdens on the children of Israel. No, God gave the Sabbath in order to relieve burdens, to give rest, to free captives, just as Deuteronomy said. The Sabbath is not the master of man, the Sabbath is there to serve mankind. And if the Sabbath is the servant of mankind, that means man is Lord of the Sabbath. And if Jesus Christ is the perfect man, the fully mature man, the son of man, then that makes him the ultimate Lord of the Sabbath. If David was Lord over the Sabbath, how much more the greater David? If the priests are lords of the Sabbath, how much more the great high priest? Jesus did not come to quibble with the Pharisees about man-made traditions. Instead, he's telling them there is something far more important going on here. The greater David has come. The true temple is here. The bread of heaven has come down. The great high priest is on duty. So don't stand in his way. Don't lay snares in his path. Make his path straight. Repent and believe. Luke includes another Sabbath-related story here in chapter 6. Verse 6. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue. This is the Jewish place of prayer and teaching. And the last time that Jesus came to a synagogue in Luke 4, there was a man possessed by an unclean spirit there, and Jesus warred with the spirit and cast him out. Now Jesus faces another afflicted person in the synagogue. He entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. 
So it's significant that every time Jesus comes into the synagogue, he's confronted by some kind of twisted humanity. Before, it was a man possessed by a demon. This time, it's a man whose body has been damaged by a disease. That it happens in the synagogue connects this specifically with Israel. Because of their unfaithfulness, their land had become as we see in the Gospels, a haunt of demons, and thousands were suffering afflictions and disease. They were under God's judgment because they were not being the light of the world as he had created them to be. In Matthew and Luke, Jesus describes the Jews of his day as a twisted generation, a twisted generation. And that actually comes from Deuteronomy 32, where Moses describes the wilderness generation in the same way. What it means is that they're like a blemished sheep or lamb. They're disfigured sons of the herd, and that those kind of animals were unacceptable as sacrifices. So the twisted generation is not allowed into God's presence. Now, we have no reason to suspect that this man in particular was uh, under divine judgment. I'm not suggesting that his sin caused this deformity. I'm saying that symbolically, Luke is using this man to represent Israel as a whole, the synagogue as a whole. Israel's right hand, which in the Bible is the symbol of one's might and strength and authority, Israel's right hand has become withered after years of rebellion against God. But Jesus has come to address this problem. The Lord of Sabbath has come not just to bring rest, but to restore God's people and to make them whole again. But the same Pharisees from earlier are here as well. Verse 7 the scribes and Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. See, the scribes and Pharisees, they don't care about this poor man. All they care about is trapping Jesus. They're trying to find a way to accuse him. And the word means to bring charges in court. We should think here of the accuser, Satan whose name is a synonym of this word and who is actually called the accuser in Revelation 12. He's always trying to bring charges against God's people. So the Pharisees are not acting like sons of God nor even sons of men. They are showing themselves to be the children of the devil. Verse 8. But Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Now notice this here. Jesus is not asking if it's okay to do deeds of mercy on the Sabbath. Okay? There's more going on here. Jesus asks, is it lawful to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? In other words, is it lawful to do anything, to act decisively in either way, to make these kind of judgments and decisions and matters of life and death and then act on them in power? And we need to understand that Jesus is referring to something specific here. What Jesus is talking about is the prerogative of kings, 
in the Old Testament. In Scripture, we see this is the special calling of kings to decide between matters of life and death, matters of justice. And they need wisdom to do this, don't they? That's why all this kingly literature and wisdom literature is about the kings. Both King David and King Solomon are described in the Old Testament as having wisdom to discern between good and evil. Kings make judgments about life and death. That's their job. So this passage is directly related to the previous one, which dealt with King David's prerogative as king. So now you understand what Jesus is actually saying, asking the Pharisees. He's saying, are you going to let the king do his work? Are you going to let the king rule? Will you let him judge in matters of life and death? Or are you going to continue to hold on to your misguided traditions? Do you really want to stand in the way of the king who has come to cast out your demons and heal your diseases? But the Pharisees don't respond. In his gospel, Mark tells us they were silenced by Jesus' words. They are confounded. They don't know how to answer him. Verse 10. And after looking around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. Not just give rest. Jesus gives restoration. He's grieved by the Pharisees' hardness of heart. They are like Pharaoh, whose heart was hardened against God. And what did Pharaoh do? He refused to give the Hebrews rest. And instead, he laid heavy burdens upon them. The Pharisees are the same way. Verse 11 tells us, but they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Matthew and Mark go on to tell us that they began to plot how to destroy him. So notice the irony here. The Pharisees are all upset because they think Jesus has violated the fourth commandment. But they are more than willing to violate the seventh commandment as they conspire to murder Jesus. And they make this plot on the Sabbath. Apparently you can't pick a little grain on the Sabbath, but you can plot murder, I guess. Truly, the Pharisees and scribes, the ones who are to teach the law, they are the ones who are profaning the law, profaning the Sabbath day. Jesus is fulfilling the spirit of the law. Jesus is using his Sabbath day to give rest to his subjects, to bring restoration to this man. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and he makes this day holy. In these two passages, Luke has shown us more of who Jesus is. He is the greater David. He is the true king who is able to give rest precisely because he is the Lord of the Sabbath and uses that day to carry out his messianic work. But sometimes we view Jesus as if he was more like the Pharisees, as if he came to lay a, a heavy burden of the law upon us. We act as if Jesus just came to give us a bunch of rules for good behavior and then he watches us like a hawk to see if we will break them. But learn from this passage, that's the opposite of what Christ came to do. 
What does he say in Matthew eleven twenty nine? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus comes to lighten our burden, not to heap it up. He comes to give rest to our souls. Indeed, because Jesus has taken on our flesh, because he has been tempted as we are, because he was crucified in our place, and because he rose again that we might have life, and because he now reigns over all things, he has brought us the truest, deepest rest, rest from sin and death, and the promise of eternal rest when he returns. And we also see this, the hands of the king are the hands of the healer. Jesus did not heal this man's hand just to show off how powerful he was. It is a sign of things to come. Because Jesus has come to do the same for all of us, the same for all creation. He promises not just rest, but restoration. He will come again, not just to put a stop to things, he comes again to make all things new. But I remind you, as if you needed reminding, not everyone in Palestine was healed in Jesus' day. Jesus did not come and fix everything all at once. He left some things unfixed. And it's a mystery to us. But we are to trust that it will one day work toward greater glory for him. We continue to suffer. We too are withered in our flesh by chronic pain, by disease, by sickness, by injury. We are withered in our hearts by emotional hurts, by sinful desires, by fear, by anxiety. Not all wounds will be healed in this life. The last time I preached on this story, it was mere months before Dawn was diagnosed with ALS and our whole world collapsed around us. There are plenty of tragedies in our midst since then, and there will continue to be even now. Evidence that all creation is still withered in desperate need of restoration. But what we have here is a sign. We have a promise. We have a promise that our king is the kind of king who will restore. He is the king who straightens that which is twisted, who restores that which is withered, who has compassion on those who are hurting. Even hurts we cannot now conceive how they could ever possibly be healed. Therefore, we have to trust and believe that when our king comes to us again, all our withered flesh, all that we've lost, all this worn out creation, it will be restored just like this man's hands. On that day, we will be strong and uncorrupted. We will walk with the Lord of the Sabbath and enter into his restored creation and his day of unending rest. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, 
Son of Man, Lord of the Sabbath. We thank you for bringing us the true rest, for fulfilling the law on our behalf, for rising from the grave in your restored and glorified humanity, a sign and promise of the restoration we will one day share with you. Continue to give us rest. Continue to heal, we pray. Amen. <laughs>